Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, 4th of November. The day after the election that is still not officially decided, Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you, Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Brian Haydad is off today. Glad that I could return, considering that I am the least favorite on-air personality in all of Super Talk Mississippi, according to one Michael Borky. That's about right. I didn't right, catch yeah. a lot of the show yesterday, but I did hear that part. Yeah, it's it's a totem pole. You know, somebody's got to be at the bottom. Who's at the top? Oh, Linda Allen's at the top. Yeah. By the way, she absolutely rocked our election coverage last night. Got started at 8. They signed off at 11. Who knew there was going to be three and a half more hours of news before everybody kind of signed off and shut it down to sleep for a couple of hours. But uh, what a great job by the entire uh, Super Talk News, Super Talk election team. Great coverage last night, not just uh, not just with the uh, on the radio portion but the video streaming portion of it. Did you pull it up and watch some of it on your uh, on your phone? I did, yeah. I, I watched a good bit of that. Of course, I was paying attention to the national stuff uh, as well, but I, I made sure to check it out. Uh, it was great. And uh, just really tip of the cap to everybody that was uh, involved in that last night. Really, uh, really proud of uh, our company and uh, the great job that Linda did anchoring the coverage and everybody that was involved with it. Uh, you want to be a part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. You know the number, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they've got lots going on. They remind you that there's a lot of bull in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says, so here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing, no bull, cspire.com. So I was off yesterday. It was not like uh, I was taking off because it was election day, but probably uh, worked out pretty well. We had uh, a meeting we had to go to uh, last night um, that started at 5 o'clock and uh, that and uh, had family member getting out of the hospital. And so just a good day to be away. Um, but I was glad I had a little extra time, Borky, because hour 40 was my wait time at the polls. But I got to tell wow. you the coolest the coolest thing. So we're in the the coolest thing slash an incredible missed business opportunity. So the polling place where where we vote or voted yesterday was uh, just off of Highway Six on the west side of Oxford. If you're familiar with that part of town, it's uh, yeah over well where Belk Ford is. It's kind of up the hill, like across Highway Six and up the hill. Um, it's the Lafayette County Civic Center. I think that's the name of the building. It's on Tommy Collie Jean Road. And I parked kind of 
down below and went up this path, like up a hillside through the kudzu, because I didn't want to walk all the way around like a mile just to get in line. So I kind of cut through and then got at the back of the line. And I was, yeah, I didn't know how long it was going to take. Beautiful day to stand. I mean, you got to stand in line outside. Yesterday was the day to do it. It was spectacular. And so after being in line for about 45 minutes, I start hearing some music. And I'm like, hey, somebody's got the right idea. It's like, whoa, is that Purple Rain? Nice. And then, I mean, it just rolls through 30 or 40 different songs, 20 different songs, whatever it was. So there was a small house directly across the street from the polling place, and their backyard faced where the line was. And my man had a DJ table set up on the back porch and was playing music for the entire hour and a half that I was there, and I'm assuming well into the night. I think they uh, they had people in line until about 8.30 last night. Um, so that was kind of cool. But the best business opportunity for me was, oh, man, great idea on the music. A little bit of a public service there. Why do you not have a concession stand set up? Coffee for the early morning folks, a little hot chocolate mixed in, soft drinks, perhaps a little cold pop, maybe some bags of chips. Guarantee there was money to be made while folks are just standing around on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon away from work in the sunshine with nowhere to go. wonder if there's some legality issues to that. I mean, you know, common sense should prevail, but I wonder if, I don't know, I, I don't know. I know it's really funky with, like, you can't campaign at election sites and stuff like that, but people still put signs around. It's all a mess, but not a whole lot of capitalists around here, I guess. Yeah, well, I don't know. Jeff says, man, I'm glad I live in the middle of nowhere in Jones County. It only took me about five minutes to vote. Mike in Oxford says, congrats, Richard, on getting Kanye 3,000 votes. <laughs> yeah, I kept telling people yesterday you were out because you were campaigning for Kanye. Hogman says he's upset today. He says we can't count votes in certain states, but I have new uh, new greenhouse ordered. <laughs> I can't imagine why, Hogman. <laughs> um, I was really proud of our country yesterday because uh, just uh, like election results aside for a second. I was really proud of our country and well, yeah. I don't want to make it too political. The pictures that you saw from across the state of Mississippi, across the southeast, and across the entire country, I thought were what about uh, what a, a representative democracy is all about. People taking time off of work, time in some cases away from their kids or away from their family. Time in some places to stand in the cold, in some places to stand in the heat, in some places to just enjoy a beautiful, sunshiny day. But waiting in line for half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, two, three hours, whatever the time was, to ex- exercise their democratic right to vote. And it's real easy when you're talking about 100 and... Do we have total vote numbers? Like overall, um, it's a hundred million early votes, give or take, going in. Hundred and seventy million, maybe. Yeah, I've got to scroll through all the state the states to get there. Yeah, but you're you're close to it. For for 
150 million people to say it's real easy to get swept up in the, well, my, my vote doesn't matter. But to say, yeah, you know what, my, my vote does matter. My voice does matter. And I'm going to participate in this process. I don't care who you voted for. Just good for you for peacefully exercising that right that is so incredibly special. Good for you. I thought that was an encouraging scene. And forgive me if that's like waxing nostalgic or whatever. I'm sure the scene changed last night, yeah, but frustration or whatever is it was unfolding. It, you know, it, in terms of this thing isn't over yet either. And may not be today or tomorrow or the next day. So currently, Joe Biden has 248 electoral college votes. And by the way, if you're like itching to type, get to sports, I don't come here for electoral news, I promise it's coming. But we had a national election yesterday for president with an unbelievable turnout. And I just want to talk about it just for a minute. 248 electoral college votes for Joe Biden at this point. President Trump sitting at 214. There are two scenarios. There are three scenarios. Maybe four scenarios. Probably three. There is still a path to a win for Donald Trump, but it seems pretty unlikely. It would take winning Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and either Nevada or Michigan. Alaska, he can't win Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Alaska. He would still be one, uh, one electoral college vote short. So there is a path, but it's a difficult one. Currently, and they're still counting the votes in Georgia, 96% in at this point, and Trump has a 76,000-vote lead. North Carolina, they're 94% counted. Trump has a about a 70,000-vote lead. And in Pennsylvania, with 86% counted, Trump has about a 300,000-vote lead. So it's conceivable that he wins those three, which would get him to 266. He wins Alaska, that gets him to 269. He still has to have one more. Currently trailing by 8,000 votes, 7,800 votes in Nevada. Currently trailing by 61,000 votes in Michigan. So that's one, one scenario. Really tight win Difficult path for for Trump. There is a blowout path in terms of the Electoral College for Biden, and then there's also a path to a really, really close victory for Joe Biden. And we don't know when exactly we're going to get the answer to any of those questions. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just getting started. We'll be right back. Borky, I get in trouble when I run out of fingers and toes. I didn't do the math right. Yeah, we're not math guys around here, so... So Trump's sitting at 240. He won Georgia. That would take him to, I'm sorry, 214. He won Georgia. That would take him to 230. North Carolina could take him to 245. Pennsylvania would take him to 265. Alaska would take him to 268. 
Mike reminded me the 269 is a tie. And in the event of a 269 all tie, then you go to the House of Representatives where each state gets one vote. And so basically, depending on how your delegation breaks down, whether you've got majority Republican or majority Democrat, that's the way your state votes. I, so, but we're not going to get there. A couple of people I saw last night, I'll just take their <clears throat> word for it, said that a tie would probably lead to a Trump win. But anyway, Correct. It, it, the path is its very simple. Uh, apparently, Chris Wallace just said it as well. It's Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Nevada. That's the path. Um, I guess they're still counting in Arizona. It was bizarre on Fox last night with their uh, decision desk guy, apologizing over and over again for saying that there's no shot he's winning Arizona and the campaign pushing back on it. That was crazy uh, to watch last night, but it's really that simple, and it's just a matter of when we find out. How late did you stay up? I got, so I, I watched Trump's speech, and that began, what, one fifteen or so, and then I mm-hmm. went to bed. Yeah. I, tr- I tried to stay up. It's just once everybody, all, everybody on every network started saying, we're not going to know tonight, I kept thinking to myself, and what am I doing up? Yeah. And then I also thought, well, there's no way I'm going to sleep if I go lay in bed. So I might as well just stay here and watch them say the same thing over and over and over again. Trump's speech was interesting. They he was lambasted by everyone that listened to it. I mean, I didn't care, you know, whether you're listening to Fox or CNN or MSNBC or NBC or CBS or PBS or whatever. Whew. There was some product placement in Biden's speech, I think. I think. Now, what did I miss? So he gave a speech, and it was the socially distanced, everybody honked their horns. And the camera angle was positioned in such a way that you could only see brand new Jeeps. Well... Yeah, well. I, I was like, you know, hey, Jeep probably saw an opportunity here. You're going to do a drive-in. Why don't you drive some of our cars right up to the front row, Joe? Maybe Mike says he stayed up until 3.30 and then taught a class this morning at 8. You're a Ooh. wild man. I made it until about 1.45, and then I shut it down. I mean, it was clear at that point nothing else was happening. I did so. So, not the guy that you mentioned on Fox that kept apologizing for what their statistical analysis was saying and calling Arizona, but like the the number two guy from the the decision room, he was on at about one, and then when I flipped the television on at like I don't know seven thirty this morning, there he was again. Did have on a new suit, and was uh, was no tie this morning, but. It probably would have been funnier if he kept the same suit and his tie was all sideways and yeah. <laughs> just sleeves rolled yeah. up. Just uh, just keep on grinding through it. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I, I just I stand by what I said a second ago. I thought yesterday was a great day for the United States. And an incredibly interesting day in Mississippi. Not because of who the state voted for in terms of thumbs up or thumbs down, whether it was you know, Trump or Biden or Cindy Hyde-Smith or Mike Espy or any of the other races that were going on, there were three really big ballot initiatives. Yeah. Although I Obviously think- the, the one about medical marijuana, which passed overwhelmingly, the new state flag, which passed overwhelmingly 
and bringing Mississippi into an era where all statewide offices are elected the same, where majority vote wins. And uh, there are a lot of people that wrote about, you know, it was an old Jim Crow law that uh, that basically was retired by the state of Mississippi. Again, overwhelmingly, uh, that success as well. So, the uh, I do want to get back to the thumbs up or thumbs down thing, though, that you mentioned earlier, because over 3,000 Mississippians voted for Kanye West to be president of the United States. And I'm all about privacy. Like, you shouldn't have to tell anybody who you vote for, generally speaking. If you voted for Trump, that's great. If you voted for Biden, that's great. You don't have to tell me. And that information should be kept private. However, I think we might need to create a database for the 3,000 people that voted for Kanye West to be president. It should be a question on the driver's test. Did you vote for Kanye West in the 2020 presidential election? If you check yes... You do not pass your driver's license test, and you have to take the bus everywhere. I mean, that's simply a function of, (laughs) I don't like the candidates. Sure, I'll vote for Yeezy. 3,000! That's a lot. 3,000 people. Kanye West. But yeah, it'll be really cool. Uh, especially Saturday, hopefully they can get it done by then. I imagine they will uh, when Mississippi State plays Vanderbilt. And then uh, I definitely expect Ole Miss to do it based on the videos they put out today. Uh, I Southern Miss, I assume the same thing. I'd be surprised if none of them do this. But watching the teams take the field with the new state flag, I think will be really cool to see. I agree. It's a really neat thing. And look, I mean... 70% of the flag, whether you loved the flag or you didn't like the flag, it might have even been a vote for, uh, please make this process go away so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Whatever the reason. It's, um, don't you know the people that were on the flag commission and the legislature are relieved that that issue is now over? Yep. And I talk to a lot of people, and I'm one of those people. I, I don't, I'm not in love with it. I, I didn't like the addition of the yellow stripes. I just thought that kind of made it, Worse than it was. It wasn't my first choice. But it's much better than the alternative. And I've already got a sticker at the house, and I'm going to get a flag to hang on my porch, and it's the, the issue's over. And I talked to a lot of people yesterday that had the same feeling. It's, oh, it wasn't my favorite. I'm not in love with it. But it's good enough, and I'm happy with it, and I picked it and voted for it so we could just move on. And that's probably why you got an overwhelming majority of it. You uh, you thought 3,000 votes in Mississippi was a lot for Kanye West? How about the 10,216 votes for <laughs> Kanye in Tennessee? I need to know a per capita number. I want to know how many people per thousand or whatever voted for Kanye in every state. Well, he got, in, in Tennessee, he got three-tenths of one percent. Yeah. Joe Jorgensen of the Libertarian Party. Knock back almost 30,000 votes. Yeah, Kanye got three-tenths of a percent here in Mississippi, too. There you go. He's going to run again in 24. I hope you got your campaign bus ready. I told people yesterday that you were handing out mixtapes. Oh, is that what you <laughs> That's what you did? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was just, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't mixed. It was just A-side, B-side, same song. It was just Run This Town, which is not really his song. Just, you know, he and Jay-Z and Rihanna. 
all uh, all mixing uh, it up man. together. Well, hey, your hard work paid off, though. I think you were the only Kanye West campaign worker in the entire state. You got 3,000 votes. Imagine in 2024 when there's two of you. Yeah. You get six. Tim and Tupelo says, could we get Kylan Hill to lead his old team out waving the new flag? Sorry. <laughs> oh, Tim, I boy. don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Brian in Tennessee says you still can't change the past on the flag. Yeah, nobody, uh, I don't think anybody would argue that. Tom in Carthage says he doesn't know the flag's kind of growing on him, and that's fine. It's one of those things that uh, I think over time will develop affection. Jimbo says let's turn the page, please. And we're about to. Yeah, we got Gary coming in in a second. Gary got mad at me yesterday, Richard. He walked in here and said, you know, since football came back, you stopped wanting to talk about NASCAR. And then he let me know that the final race is this weekend, so I figured we'd talk some NASCAR. Get a message here. says, uh, I think it's from Sherry. She says, thank you for your support of the flag. It's an exciting time in our state. Jason says, uh, by the way, Jason, we're going to get to your uh, question. He asked if we blocked him. No, we didn't block you. He wants to know how State's offense is going to outscore the points they're giving to opposing defenses the last few weeks. Says Vandy is scary all of a sudden. I told Jason, man, I saw Vandy in person last week. Scary, they are not. We have the return of Maction tonight. A full Take a look slate. at that slate this afternoon. A full slate indeed. And uh, we will um, we'll give you our Pearl River Resort pick of the day based on what's happening in Maction tonight. Love it. Porky's been studying on that all day. <laughs> Scary Gary in the house next. Final race of the year, NASCAR, and some drama that got us to this final race. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad is off. Scary Gary joins us right now. He is our NASCAR aficionado, and it's been a while, and he let us hear about it, and deservedly so, because we've gotten to the end and things have gotten tight, and Gary said, you guys took advantage of me when there was no football to talk about. No baseball to talk about, and then you just pitched me to the curb like uh, yesterday's newspaper, and uh, none too pleased about it, and I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Well, Gary, so, we rewind all the way to May 17th. That's a lot that's when going this on. Se- that's when this season restarted at Darlington. We had, what, seven races in ten days or something crazy like that, and they've just rocked their way all the way to the end. And last Sunday at Martinsville, Chase Elliott, the winner, and tons of drama. Oh, yeah. I mean, Kevin Harvick didn't make it in. He crashed out on the coming to the checkered flag, ran over um, the 19, (laughs) trying to get past him to get a point, but it crashed them both out. So Kevin's out. But it's just, it's going to be Brad Keselowski, uh, Chase Elliott. Uh, the number two of uh, Keselowski and uh, Denny Hamlin. That's running for the championship. And everybody thought that Harvick had it, but the the, the last three races, Harvick's had terrible luck. But it's just the way racing is. But it's uh, it's come down, and, and this weekend's championship weekend for the whole NASCAR series, and they're all 
all three series will be out in Phoenix, Arizona, racing the trucks, the Xfinity cars, and the Cup cars. And basically, it's uh, down to the final four guys, and whoever wins the race is, or whoever finishes the best, you might say, is going to win the championship. So it's it's down to the very last of it. And of course, silly season started a month or so ago. I mean, the announcement of number fourteen. Uh, Clint Boyer, he was he just come out of the blue and said that he was going to retire this year. This is you know he's been it been in it for fourteen years or so. So he said you know he's he's done it. He's go he's got a young son, so he and Chase are go hunt and fish and mess around and run go karts and stuff. But he's uh, he's looking forward to a new chapter in his life. And of course they're bringing up all the new guys from the Xfinity series and putting them in Cup. And, I mean, these guys are 18, 19, and 20 years old that's getting to go to Cup. And used to, that was unheard of. You just didn't have youngsters coming in to the Cup. You know, he's going to be 25 to 30 to get a Cup ride. But now things have changed, and all these these kids have been driving since they were three. So, I mean, and they 18, 19 years old, so they've driven three-quarters three of their life behind some kind <laughs> of cart, you know, race car. But, um this is going to be an exciting weekend, and hopefully the weather will hold for them. Uh, <laughs> the race that never would finish was the Texas race. It, they started it on Sunday and run 52 laps, and it rained on them. And then they didn't get to run another lap till Wednesday night of that following that week. And they got the race in and was able to go to Martinsville and do that race and get it in. So it's all everybody's headed out to Phoenix to uh, race in Phoenix, Arizona, and this will be the end of this season. And it's just going to be different. And, of course, um, Kyle Larson was reinstated by NASCAR. He went through all his his sensitivity training and, and everything he had to do to get get back reinstated. And he's going to be reinstated in uh, Mr. Hendricks, which the 88 of Alex Bowman, he's moving to the 48 team because Jimmy Johnson's last race of his career in, in, in uh, Cup Car will be at Phoenix. And then next year he will – run a handful of races for Chip Ganassi in an Indy car on the road courses. So it's a total different genre of racing that Jimmy's going to try to get into, but he's already done some tests and did fairly well, and so they're going to give him a shot and let him go out there and see if he can cut it with the Indy car drivers. Gary, I'm glad you brought the Indy car up. I, I think we talked about this. And, Borky, if it wasn't on the air, we talked about it off the air. There is a... An IndyCar street race that is coming to Nashville. Oh yeah. If if you guys know anything, if you I mean you, if you've been to Nashville, you know the general area I'm talking about. We're talking about downtown, but not like up and down Broadway. No, they're they're going to use Nissan. Is it still Nissan Stadium? Is that the name yes. of it? Yeah. So the Titan Stadium as kind of the staging area and the start finish line, and they're going to have NASCARs. I'm sorry, the IndyCars run across the Veterans Bridge over the river, over the Cumberland River. And that's never been done before, where they've had a bridge that span, cars racing over it. Gary, margin for error gets pretty small when you're going, what, 100 and... I mean, I don't know what, how fast it'd be going. 140, 130. Okay, 130, 140, 150 miles an hour on a bridge over a river. Not a lot of margin for error there. 
no, but now, of course, now, Richard, when they do these road courses, they bring in these these 12,000-pound cinder, well, concrete uh, dividers like you see on the highway, and they have fencing that they affix to them, and it's like 12, 15-foot tall. It's a catch fence for any kind of tires or debris or anything going up into the crowd. But going over a bridge at that speed, let's just say uh, – the difference between an Indy car and an airplane is you flip the wing upside down and it flies and you put it up uh, wrong side. I mean, you put it upside down, it sticks to the ground, you put it right side up, it flies. So, you know, you, you get any kind of wreck or anything, you could have a car go off the bridge. But, you know, that's that's just to say, you know, the crazy things happen. But still, Indy, Indy and Nashville is going to be big because, I mean, they go to Birmingham and they race at the uh, Birmingham track, the Barber the barber school over there and that's a big track and they run it and they run um california and they run several road courses and it's it's a it's not as high speed as indy where they're doing 230 100 you know 240 miles an hour it's it's they just don't get wound up like that because they don't have the long straightaways and the big track it's short tight yeah but it just looks so cool yeah, it's it is. It's you know, but there's no room for error because if you if you hang a wheel off the line, you're in the wall, and you know if you run one of those cars into the wall, it's it tears it all to pieces. It's not like a NASCAR where you go beat the fenders back out and put some tires on it and go back out <laughs> there. But I mean, these cars when they wreck, they destroy themselves. Well, that's the way that they're built is to dissipate energy. It takes the energy away from the cockpit where the driver is so it's it's kind of designed to tear itself apart and dissipate the energy so it's not transmitted to the driver all right gary so we've got four guys racing for the championship this week is that correct that's right and they're the only four that can win the championship no matter who wins the race only one of those four guys can win the entire championship. but they're not the only four in the race how many are in the field there was a complete field it'll be 36 38 I mean, it'll be a complete feel, and it's like uh, Kyle Busch won his one and only race that he won this year, so that keeps him in the in the make for I think this is 16 years. He's you know won at least one race ever since he's yeah. been in in Cup. He's won at least one race in Cup. So Harvick, the driver of the year, what do you have? Eight wins? Is that right? Yeah, Kevin had wins, but that, just those three races where he had he was he got crashed. Then he had a tire issues and then they had pit issues so i mean it's you know when you when you shoot yourself in the foot it's kind of hard to run fast and all but and then these guys are i mean they're out there racing for every position i mean it's it's not like the old days where you get out there and you ride around three quarters of the race and just try to conserve your equipment and you know stay there and just just kind of ride along and then at the end of the race you turn it up and go for it now it's like from the time the green flag start you know drops till the checkered flag flies it's every man for himself and i mean they're scratching and gouging and fighting and i mean now i did i did see there was some there was some wrecks calls but you know that's just a racing deal but still it's um Anything can happen out there, of course. You know, it's it, you're dealing with speed and, and the human element of somebody messing up. So there's always potential for something to happen. But these guys... What do you get if you win the championship this week? A great big trophy, a, uh, uh, a nice diamond ring with a championship on it. And, of course, you get, you know, the company, you, you get a percentage of the 
payments, but you will get a championship cut because you won the team the championship. So we were talking about way back on uh, how these drivers are paid. They're not just paid on, you know, they don't take the winnings and put it in their pocket and all. It goes to the teams, and then the teams have a contract with the driver and everybody else, and everybody gets paid off the team. So it's, you know, it's like a big, big company that you work for, even though you're the driver. Well, but two o'clock Sunday afternoon. It's going to be fun. Are you excited? You you you've cleared your calendar on Sunday. Oh yeah, and then of course, then you'll be hunting something to watch other than football, and there won't be any racing on. So <laughs> have to be watching tractor pulls, go kart races. I reckon. I'm sure you will find those so that you can watch them. I think you should start racing yourself, also, Gary. I think we should put you in the Super Talk. Well, FM uh, supertalk.fm car and let you go. JT and I uh, did do some media racing at the dirt track race, and I drove the Supertalk 97.3 car that one of the guys had put together. As I a like it. On JT's wall of the car, it was uh, painted up blue with Supertalk on it, but got to Beautiful. drive it. So. Thanks, Gary. Hey, thank y'all. Enjoyed it. Y'all have a good weekend. Jack Pulley coming in strong with the correction. He says, Harvick wrecked the 18, not the 19. Where is this so-called expert from? Sorry, Shaq Pulley. Carolyn Starkville says, good to hear from Gary. I agree. Always good to hear from Scary Gary. Philip in Columbus says, guys, you're doing great. Love the show. Pulled into a gas station while listening to you guys. Overheard a guy's radio in his truck playing while I was pumping gas. Wouldn't you know he had you on? I heard Scary Gary talking. You're all over. And you do a great job. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Philip. Appreciate that very much. And uh, Borky, apparently at least one person thought you were really good yesterday. I'm really Spence good every says, time you're off. Uh, it's my, it's my window. Sometimes. Some more than others. <laughs> yeah. Messing with you. Which, hey, you know, I wouldn't want to hear somebody better than me either, so. Oh. Uh, Spence says, Richard, just go ahead and put your name in the hat for Monday Night Football broadcast team and take the promotion with the mothership ESPN. After Borky filled in yesterday, he's ready for your job. Both of you do a heck of a job at what you do because both of you have a passion for it. Time for a promotion for you both. Love the show that Spence and Brookhaven. Thanks, Spence. It's big time. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I wish it worked that way where I could, not that I don't love this job, I wish I could just throw my hat at the ring and get the Monday Night Football play-by-play job. You see Kirk is coming around on doing both college football and the NFL. I mean, maybe not Monday Night Football because they they've just had turnover again, but... Yeah. That was something that he initially said, no way, no how, and now suddenly it's like, hey, this is pretty good. Well, there's been some discussion of ESPN slash ABC getting a second package for the NFL when they redo the uh, when they redo the TV contracts. Given the amount of trouble that ESPN has had getting its Monday Night Football booth right, I think it's fine now. Um. Brian Greasy's fine. Louis Riddick's fine. Steve Levy's fine. Yeah. It's not remarkable, and Monday Night Football should have a remarkable broadcast team. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But it's better than it was. 
Don't you think? Absolutely, one hundred and fifty percent better yeah. than it was. What do you yeah. think about Joe Tess's call of his kids uh, drawing and offsides? Everybody I, was making a big deal of that. I thought it was cool, but maybe I'm cynical. I was just like, eh. I read about it. I haven't actually heard it. I think that happened while our game was going on on Saturday, and I just didn't chase it down and watch it. It but would have been were, like 30 minutes great. before kickoff. I mean, it was pretty cool, I guess, especially when he says, and Tessator draws him off sides, and you're like, wait. Oh, that that's his oh, yeah. kid. But, it's your son. Yeah. He played it pretty straight, though, didn't he? He did. He did very well. You could not tell it's his son other than last name, and he knew more about the backup punter than most people would know about the backup punter. Yeah. He is uh, He is well prepared, no doubt. Somebody says, Monday Night Football also needs remarkable games, not just remarkable broadcasters. Well, that too. I uh, I agree on that front. League's been good, though. The, the, the storylines and the drama and everything are just fine. Making up for the I guess people are kind of turned off by, um, like no atm- There's no atmospheres at these games, even the ones that have fans. But the drama on the field has made me not even realize that there's nobody there. Maction returns tonight. First game, ESPN Plus, at five o'clock. Eastern Michigan is at Kent State. You also have at uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN3, a lot of app-based viewing to start things, Western Michigan at Akron. ESPN2, right when we finish, 6 o'clock kickoff. From DeKalb, Illinois, Buffalo, and Northern Illinois. ESPN at 6 o'clock. From Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Ohio, the Bobcats, and the Central Michigan Chippewas. Also at 6 o'clock on CBS Sports Network from Oxford, Ohio, Ball State and Miami of Ohio. Pick them. Pick them game. And Toledo, a big favorite at home in the Glass Bowl. They're hosting Bowling Green. And Toledo is a 24-point favorite. Kent State, a a 4.5-point favorite at home against Eastern Michigan. Western Michigan, a 20-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Akron. Buffalo is a 14-point favorite as a road team at Northern Illinois. Ohio, just a three-point favorite at Central Michigan. Pickham in Oxford, Ohio, and then the big number for Toledo. You, you bet got, these are you a degenerate? Oh, you got to be. I do respect the heck out of a league that knows what they are and just owns it. I mean, they're even branding this Maction now. They've taken an internet joke on Tuesday Night Games and they've made it their brand, and now everybody's talking about it. Good for them. Absolutely love it. One hour in the books with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Got a whole lot more coming up. Clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Hey, Dad's off today. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, thank you for being with us. Don't forget the ceasefire text line is open, 601 879 4395. Let's go to the phone line to visit with our buddy Austin Stanley from A to Z Sports in Nashville. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Austin, what's up, man? 
How's it going, guys? How you guys doing? Things are good. Really appreciate uh, a few minutes with you. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of different things. Ole Miss was in Nashville last week to take on Vanderbilt. They were pretty impressive. Mississippi State's got Vanderbilt this week, and Mississippi State needs a win in the worst of ways. And then uh, we'll look at the Titans in just a second. Let's start with last Saturday. Any takeaway for you from uh, that game with Ole Miss and, and Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt's just so hard to judge this year. I know it's year seven for Derek Mason, but they had a lot of opt-outs. They've had a lot of positive COVID tests, and they're just not developing anybody really that they bring into this roster. So uh, I'm looking at the Vegas line right now because, you know, in the state of Tennessee up here, uh, sports betting is legal these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's, it's state minus 18 and a half, and I'm like – that's the hardest thing I've ever thought about. Like, I don't know if any team is going to score 18 and a half points. Um, it's, it's pretty wild because that's how bad Vandy is right now. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how competitive uh, they're going to be the rest of the way. Uh, I, I know opt-outs have crushed them. I, I like Ken Seals playing at quarterback. I think he's yeah. got a, some ability um, back there as a true freshman, but not a lot of help, so you might as well get that guy as much live experience as possible. But, I mean, they, they can't cover, they can't tackle, they can't score, they can't block. There's not much going on for Derek Mason right now. Austin, big picture question for Vanderbilt. What the hell are they doing up there? And, and, and you know, for, forgive me for, for phrasing it that way, but man, there are 14 programs in the SEC. And 13 of them are doing their dead-level best with, with, with varying levels of success to be competitive, to win, to upgrade facilities, to make sound investments. And then there's Vanderbilt. And I, I started to say I feel bad saying that because I like a lot some of the people that are there. I don't know any of the people that are there, though, anymore. They just fired them all in the offseason. Yeah. Well, what yeah. are they doing? Collecting an SEC network check for like $40 million every year. Yeah, and then putting it in a bank somewhere. I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's maddening. I I live like a mile and a half away from Vanderbilt Stadium, and I have for like five years. Um, and it's it's just so apathetic around the entire campus uh, and around the fan base. You know, right now I feel like Vandy fans are are, are spending all their time making fun of Jeremy Pruitt losing three in a row at Tennessee than they are caring about what Derek Mason's doing. Uh, the last game of the season last year, the last non-conference game of the season, I believe they only had about 3,000 people at the game. And, you know, they're the only team in the SEC right now that has zero fans because of what Nashville's doing with COVID. Uh, so they're kind of avoiding that uh, laughing stock again. But, it like... It, the fans don't care. They're checked out. But the administration, I don't think they care. Derek Mason has a contract, got a contract extension in 2017. I believe he's got two more years left on his deal after this season. Uh, Malcolm Turner as AD, that experiment uh, blew up in flames uh, earlier. They but, hey, didn't, let me interrupt just for a second. Isn't part of the reason yeah. that that blew up, though, because he spent money? And they didn't like him yeah. spending money? Yeah. Uh, he he was spending money in good ways, but he was also, uh, from what I was hearing, spending like way too much renovating his office as well. <laughs> so okay. it was like it was he was going out there and doing a lot of things with money, 
Um, but you're right. I mean, like at least I, I thought the hire of Malcolm Turner was like, okay, they're trying something new, something different. But then they didn't even allow to see that through. And then they put in Candace Story Lee, who is a, a career Vanderbilt person. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know, I don't trust any change to happen. If they do hire, fire Derek Mason, which I don't think is going to happen because they're not going to pull the trigger, who wants that job? And what type of person are you going to hire to come into that job? Uh, I've got Will Healy in mind, who's at Charlotte, who's from the state of Tennessee, who could be bring some juice into the program. But I, I don't think Vandy's going to pull the trigger on Derek Mason because of everything that's happening with COVID this year. It was, a, it was a surreal scene Saturday, being on the field, and those two teams ran onto the field before the game started and being down there, and it was silent. You could hear a pin yeah. drop. It's just just weird, weird, weird. Um, so, so looking forward to this week, I mentioned a second ago, Mississippi State hasn't won since their season opener against LSU, and they went crazy offensively. They basically haven't scored since then. Is this the... Like the the magic pill that Mississippi State needs to feel better about themselves, or is this an opportunity for Vanderbilt against a team where they're not necessarily going to have to go score forty to have a chance? I think State wins this game. I obviously it's probably going to be really ugly, um, but I just don't think Vandy can really put anything together. I don't know how they were able to lose by only five against Texas A&M in the opening week. But um, ever since then, Vandy's been giving up a lot of points to multiple teams. Even even LSU's defense that can't stop anything, anything was stopping Vanderbilt. So um, I, I don't really see any way uh, that Vandy wins this game. And I think it's a great opportunity for State to kind of get some things right um, and I just think they'll probably win by at least two scores, but um, I'd probably pick the under <laughs> if, if I'm going to go do that. And it's even in a weird spot at like 48, so we'll uh, we'll see where that uh, that ends up when it's all said and done. Austin Stanley, A to Z Sports on your radio, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Wednesday afternoon. Slip over to the NFL for a second. Tennessee Titans. So did, did they just decide that it was a good strategy to let Joe Burrow take the snap, sit down in a rocking chair, hang out for like a minute, and then stand up and throw it to an open receiver? Was that the plan going in? Yeah, yeah. Ben Roethlisberger did a really good job over the week before, too. Uh, so I guess mm. that was Joe Burrow's plan. I mean, look, the Titans, they had issues, and I think they've uh, tried to address a couple of those issues. They cut Jonathan Joseph yesterday. They cut Vic Beasley Today, Jonathan Joseph, in my opinion, was the center of the problem because he's a 36-year-old corner who can't run anymore. So the guy's playing at safety depth, and quarterbacks don't have to make a read. They just say, okay, there's 33, we're going to throw it to my guy. And then Jonathan Joseph, also so slow, he cannot come out of that safety depth to come make a tackle. So when you're getting the ball in your hands that fast, the pass rush has no chance and then you're just giving up third downs at a historic rate. And then all of a sudden when Jonathan Joseph does actually cover somebody and the coverage works out, now you can't get your hands on Joe Burrow. Or when you do get your hands on Joe Burrow, you can't get him down. So uh, maybe with Vic Beasley cut and Jonathan Joseph out, Desmond King they Titans traded for with the Chargers earlier this week too, who's one of the higher-rated 
nickel corners uh, in the league. I think that'll help to at least play aggressive on the outside on defense to give your pass rushers a shot. Because Jadavion Clowney's top 10 in the NFL in quarterback pressures, he just hasn't had a sack yet, which is uh, it's frustrating to watch how close he gets to sacking the quarterback without actually doing it. Am I crazy thinking back to the playoff run a year ago? Wasn't the Titans' defense really good at the end of the season and into the playoffs last year? Or am I not remembering that right? No, no, you're exactly right. And and the Chiefs get just about everybody. uh, Sure, sure. uh, In that AFC title game. But, yeah, I mean, you had Jarrell Casey and and Jeffrey Simmons playing side-by-side on the D-line. Casey was traded to Denver. The correct move, big contract, aging, get ahead of it, right? Logan Ryan, who is, I thought, their best overall player when it comes to uh, football IQ, expiring contract, older, let him walk. Um, and then Dean Pease, who's a legendary defensive coordinator, he retired too. And the Titans did not technically hire a defensive coordinator, so you lose a couple important players. Um, Adoree Jackson, uh, star cornerback, has not played at all this year. He had a, a phantom injury in the bubble practice, like towards the end of training camp, and we haven't seen him. He's supposed to be close to back. Uh, that will help a lot. And then Christian Fulton out of LSU, second-round pick. He's injured right now. Um, they've had a lot of guys get banged up, and they're just not playing very good football right now. Jadavian Clowney was supposed to come in and help the pass rush. Hasn't really worked out completely, and it doesn't seem like they're all on the same page. Uh, and there's a lot of key guys that are still there, but Casey, Logan Ryan, and Dean Pease, uh, and then a couple other position coaching changes as well, They've, they've lost the core group of what made that defense pretty dynamic last year. And yet, they are 5-2 and two and tied for the division lead with the Indianapolis Colts. We'll see if they're able to get a little bit better down the stretch. Austin, always good to visit with you. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Sure, thanks, guys. Austin Stanley, A to Z Sports in Nashville, talking some Vanderbilt and some Tennessee Titans. We'll be back right after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll spend more time tomorrow and Friday on Mississippi State Vanderbilt. How much time we can spend on that one? I understand. I mean, it's an SEC game. I mean, we... we... Well, it's the most important game of the year for Mississippi State. I mean, that's what's kind of... I was thinking about it earlier today, is how do you... I like to classify games, you know, put labels on them. And this one... On one hand, it's Vanderbilt, and you're an almost three-touchdown favorite, and it's a team that you should beat by a lot of points. But it's also as close to a must-win as you can get in a COVID year and a weird schedule. And the most important game of the season. So on one hand, it's like it should be a blowout. It's on at the exact same time as Georgia-Florida. Nobody's going to care about it. Nobody's going to watch outside of the borders of this state and maybe Ken Seals' parents, but they actually get to go to the game this time. Yeah. Um, But it's the most important game of the year. They cannot lose this game. So it's weird. You know, it's a game that they should win, but also it's like these last few weeks have been weird for them, and, and they've really struggled. And you know Vanderbilt and Nashville, although they're not very good, look at this game as one on the schedule. Hey, we can we can win this one. We're not beating Georgia. We're not beating Florida. 
Probably not beating Tennessee. Hell, South Carolina smoked us. But we can win this one. You know that's what they're thinking up there. Ole Miss beat us by 30. Yeah, I mean, everybody but AM somehow. Weird game. I'll be honest, though. If I'm a Vanderbilt player, and, and goodness knows you, you can't be looking ahead if you're at Vanderbilt right now, and I'm not trying to beat up on the Commodores. It's just kind of the reality of where they are. You got the game at Mississippi State this week, and then you go on the road to Kentucky. You're playing two teams that have shown the inability to score points. You like your chances better against a team like that than the following week when they're going to play Florida. You know, an explosive Florida offense. So, I, you know, we'll see. I wonder what the focus is for Mississippi State going into this game. I mean, obviously get a win. But is it is it about fundamentals? I mean, I, you're, you're not treating this week any differently than you do other weeks because it's game planning. And once you get into a game week, there's a routine, and you go about it. I just wonder if there are any tweaks. I mean, the expectation is Will Rogers is going to start at quarterback. Say what you want about the final numbers against Alabama. Mississippi State's offense looked a little better in the second half, and they looked a little more capable with Will Rogers playing quarterback. He shows flashes of being a very, very good player. The interceptions, I mean, it's a, he's a true freshman, and it was Tuscaloosa. But he did it in Lexington as well. Um, that's that's a huge concern, is the interceptions. But the talent's certainly there. Yeah. And, I, I mean, when, when you're talking about Will Rogers, you're not talking about biggest arm in college football. You're not talking about fastest quarterback on the planet or anything like that. But but he's he's functional. Arm's okay. Seems to be pretty comfortable. Seems to have his teammates responding nicely to him. So I think all those things are on the table. And, and this feels like a week. I'll go back to what Jason was asking us earlier. Right. So, so Jason says, how state's offense going to outscore the points they're giving to opposing defenses the last few weeks? Talking about pick sixes and turnovers. Says Vandy scary all of a sudden. And my response was, man, I saw Vandy this per- in person last week. They're not scary. And he says, I'm not worried about Vandy being good. I'm worried about State's offense being that bad. And they have been bad. There's, there's no way around it. They've struggled to block. There is no running game, and they've turned it over through the air. And as a result of those things, have scored. Very, very little. Very little. 14 in the loss to Arkansas. 2 to Kentucky. 14 in the loss to A&M. Shut out by Bama. I mean, there's nothing good about that. We're talking about 30 points total and only 21 of those coming from the offense over the course of four games. If you're going to get right offensively, and even if you're not going to get right, but you're just going to have a game where you have success, this is the one where it is. I mentioned Vandy's schedule coming up. What about State looking ahead? I know Haydad said, well, you know, maybe the schedule gets a little more manageable. Not really. Vanderbilt this week, that is absolutely more manageable. 
then Auburn. I know Haydad says he doesn't believe in Auburn, but Auburn kind of showed you something that you could believe in a little bit last week against LSU. And they did and beat then Kentucky. All, yeah. Then you got to face the Georgia defense. Then you got to deal with Ole Miss's offense. And then you got Missouri. Missouri's not great, but they're they're functional. What teams would you put in a bucket together in terms of the SEC? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Alabama stands alone. Mm-hmm. We'll find out this weekend, uh, but I do think Florida, Georgia, and Texas A&M are all in a similar group. Okay. Because Texas A&M did beat Florida, and again, we're about to find out. Um, then I think there'd be a gap with Auburn, Arkansas. Um, Ole Miss. Okay. South Carolina, Tennessee. South Carolina, Tennessee. Another gap. LSU, Missouri. Ooh, I would put Missouri alongside Tennessee and South Carolina. Let me retract that. Put them up there. Another gap, LSU, Kentucky. Another gap, Vanderbilt. Where do you have Mississippi State? Currently with LSU and Kentucky. Okay. Kentucky, the, the score in the Kentucky game does not, I think the teams are much closer than the score indicates. No, I mean, there was an interception return for a touchdown and then one that was returned down to the three. It was 24 to two, but in reality, it was more of like a one score game. So yeah. I would put them in the same level. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, Alabama's a cut above everybody right now. And then Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M feel like the next three. And then it's kind of a big jumbled mess. I mean, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, I mean, if those three teams played in a round robin, I don't know how that round robin would turn out. And then even though Arkansas beat Ole Miss, I kind of would put Ole Miss and Arkansas in that group with Missouri, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Auburn maybe just a hair above those because, I mean, look, it's a scoreboard business ultimately. And Auburn beat Arkansas and they beat Ole Miss. But then maybe lost to South have... Carolina. Do what? But then they lost to South Carolina. That's a good point. I mean, you know, that, but to, to your point that started this conversation, the heck do you do with them all? So, I mean, maybe that's the group. Maybe it's Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, and Ole Miss are kind of all the same. I think that's fair. LSU probably deserves to be in that group as well. Do they? Yeah, because they did beat up on South Carolina. And beat up on Vanderbilt. Right. The way they should have. Yes, exactly. I mean, LSU's clearly got problems offensively. You know a fascinating game to me is Ole Miss at LSU. I mean... If LSU plays man-to-man defense like they did against Mississippi State, like they've done on some others... Over. Ole Miss will 
torch them offensively. Every possession, they'll score. I mean, I, I don't know that you want to throw it right at Derek Stingley, but he's not doing a whole lot. Certainly he's capable. you got to be careful with him. But then LSU probably will score some points on Ole Miss as well. Likely so. I mean, that feels like that could be like a like a 48-34 to 34 game. It could be a lot of fun. It's a shame it didn't happen on Halloween like it's supposed to. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I would agree with you on that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. College Football Fix is coming your way in half an hour. We've got bowl projections. Bowl projections? I That's like right. It. We've got them. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. She don't give a damn for me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Michael Borky with you today. Glad to have you along for the ride. Are you are you surprised at all, Borky? I'm going back to presidential stuff just for a second. The, re- reportedly, there were over 100 million votes cast prior to Election Day yesterday, right? I mean, we kept hearing that number. It, it, it's gone to 60 million. It's gone to 65 million. It's gone to 70 million. It's gone to 85 million. 100 million people voted f- before the election. Everywhere you looked yesterday, lines were exceptionally long. Now, maybe they weren't as long as we really thought they were because of social distancing and people were spaced out more normally than normal. But in the 2016 election, there were just shy of 137 million votes cast. And we're only at like 130. 39, I mean, maybe when it's all counted, maybe we get to 140, 145 million. I'm having trouble with that math. If there were actually 100 million votes cast before the election, anecdotally, everywhere you look, there were long lines and supposedly record turnout yesterday. So how did we only get to 3 or 4 million more than what we had in 2016? It's a good question. I know which was the biggest turnout ever. I know our district uh, afternoon didn't have a line at all. You walked right up and voted. So maybe it was just early in the morning. Everybody went at once because they assumed the lines were going to be long, and then it, it petered out. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I, from personal experience, it was it was easy on this end. Yeah. Okay. And again, maybe it's anecdotal from from where I live. I got a buddy that got in line at the place that I voted. He got in line at six twenty six, and he was the sixtieth person in line. So that was half an hour before the polls opened. Jane and I went and tried to go vote mid morning, and it was a two hour wait. I got in line at one twenty five yesterday. It took me an hour and forty minutes. The line was probably a third longer than it was when I got in line when I left. And the polling precinct at which I voted yesterday, you know, they, they, they put a poll worker at the end at 7 o'clock, and they said, okay, nobody after this part, if you were in line at 7 o'clock when the polls cl- closed, you got, to, you got to vote. And the last vote at that precinct was cast at 8.36. I 
I think it was last night. Maybe that wasn't the case nationwide. Maybe that was just a, a local deal. Anyway, it's fascinating. I just, I, based on the numbers going into yesterday, I thought, man, are we are we about to have 150, 175, 200 million people vote? And that's way off. It's like maybe it gets to, what, 140, 142, something like that. We'll see. Big number. Yeah, I just thought that was fascinating. Somebody said, and uh, this is somebody also that lives in Oxford, I guess, took me five minutes at College Hill at 4 p.m. This is a reasonable question, right? I wonder how it is that a state like California or New York that has so many people are able to get theirs finished by 10 o'clock and other states take forever? Well, there's an easy answer, because they're not finished. California is only at 66%, according to the map I'm looking at. New York's at 78 It's just they can call those states right away, because they know who's going to win them. There's no doubt, right. So that that's all it is. And it, I don't know if it's sketchy or not, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to go down that road, but... Um, Certain states have different procedures as far as counting early ballots. I mean, there are some states that couldn't start until yesterday. So even though they got a million early ballots in days ago, they weren't allowed to start until yesterday. And so that kind of muddied the waters a little bit for when they could report and things like that. But the easy answer is quite simply, the states that we're looking at right now they're just too close for us to be able to tell. Mississippi mm-hmm. was called right away, and I, th- I thought it was funny. You had the yellow check mark on Mississippi when, like, the first precinct that reported was vast majority Biden. It was like sixty-five percent Biden, and it said Mississippi was called for Trump. They just knew what was going to happen. Sure. Somebody says it's twenty twenty. There's got to be an easier way to do this. No doubt about that. But it's government. In Houston, I got in line at 610 and walked out after voting at 739. Richard asked an interesting question, and I don't know the answer to this. He said, I voted with my finger. Why did everybody else get a pen or a Sharpie? I got a pen. It was paper ballot where I was. Mm -hmm. And the polling location that I went to has been using voting machines for, oh, good grief, at least the last four or five elections. Remember the levers? Uh-huh. That was my first experience when I went with my parents. Was the the pull levers? Yeah, where you you would you would punch it and then pull it at the end. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Fascinating. Uh, well, you got a question. Somebody said, "Why is Election Day not a national holiday?" It that should give be. everybody a chance. And then put it on a Monday too, or maybe I don't know. I guess Tuesday maybe is a big tradition for everybody, but slap it on a Monday so everybody's got a long weekend. In gubernatorial elections, Louisiana does uh, their elections on Saturdays. Yeah, which I guess in theory is good for uh, turnout because not that many people work on Saturday compared to a Friday or a Tuesday. But also, you're having gubernatorial elections when LSU's got a home game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess if you know you're going to the football game, you vote absentee. 
Mike says it took him five minutes at the uh, his polling place in Oxford. Richard and Wiggins says, we always take our son. Do that, Borky. That was a really cool experience for me. My wife took ours yesterday, but, I mean, he's, he's a year old, so he has no idea what's going on. We took him trick-or-treating, too, which that was funny. I mean, oh, it's good. He'll, he'll reach in the bowl and grab some candy. Oh, nope. The second somebody would open a door, he would just turn away like, I don't like you. <laughs> he did have a cool little lion costume, though, but we did about five or six houses, and it was not yet. He's just not ready. Yeah, no, you're right. This is a good one. It says uh, both parents work at a small but predominantly dominant, um, predominantly Democratic precinct in Tupelo, and the turnout was unprecedented to the tune of a 1,000 more than normal. Stan and Ripley says, I walked into my pre-scene at 9.48 and was back in the truck in time to listen to the beginning of uh, the JT show. Nice. There you go. Um, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Roger in Grenada says it took him about 20 minutes. Maybe the most people he had ever seen at 7.30 in the morning at the place that he's been voting for 20 years. We didn't acknowledge it earlier. Did you see the text we got about the medical marijuana passing? No. What did it say? He sent us a gif of Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack when he gets hit with the ball in his arm, and he pretends like it's broken. He's sitting here just wagging it around. My arm, I think, is broken. He said, me to my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, some basketball news coming out of Ole Miss. This has been kind of rumored and quietly talked about. It is now official. Ole Miss's non-conference schedule is in place. And it's going to start with a tournament in Oxford, the Justin Reed Ole Miss Classic. Justin, the former Ole Miss player that passed away tragically not too terribly long ago. Rebels are going to host Central Arkansas, Jackson State, and Arkansas State in a round-robin tournament that will be played on November 25th, 26th, and 27th. So we finally get a non-Thanksgiving Day Egg Bowl, But there will be basketball on that day. So Wednesday the 25th, which is the start of the college basketball season across the country, Ole Miss will play Central Arkansas that day. On Thanksgiving Day, November 26th, they'll play Jackson State. And then on Friday the 27th, on the eve of the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss will play Arkansas State, all of those at the Pavilion. Keith Carter told us on the football pregame show a couple of weeks ago that they're expecting about 25% capacity or so. All of those floor seats that are normally right down to the floor where the students are, those are going to be pulled back in. They're going to flip the benches to the opposite side of the floor from where they normally are. So it's going to look a little bit different in the pavilion this year and probably everywhere across the SEC. Sports Talk Mississippi. So most everybody last night with no sports happening was watching election returns. Most everybody. I'm sure there were people who opted to skip out altogether because they're sick of the whole process and they went to Netflix or Hulu or whatever and watched a movie or just hung out and put something on the grill. 
But ESPN did have something on its airwaves, and that something was the gold glove ceremony. Borky, I love your headline. Today in Major League Baseball understands marketing. Last night, ESPN exclusively televised the 10th Rawlings Gold Glove Awards show from Bristol. Veteran baseball commentator Carl Ravitch hosted the one-hour show to unveil the winners, along with Mark Teixeira. Um, Bad idea, or this is such an inconsequential thing, it doesn't matter, you had to put something on the air. So if this was in a vacuum, that would be your answer, right? Because when is the last time you've watched the Gold Glove ceremony? Never. Uh, next time tried one on one time. time. One of the coolest oh, things. Did. I was like ten years old and uh, went to Ozzy Smith's restaurant and sports bar in St. Louis. They had a big display with all of his Gold Gloves, and I got to try one of them on. That was awesome. That is the really Wizard. Cool. But this isn't in a vacuum. It's just one thing. It's a gold glove ceremony. But does baseball hate itself? Because I talk to baseball people, because I'm not exactly one, and they all share the same sentiment that Major League Baseball does does such a horrible job at marketing its stars. And here you have crowning one of your league stars on the same night when there's not a single person that will pay attention. Not one. Nobody. Instead of it being a Tuesday night news cycle when there's nothing going on and maybe it gets shared on Twitter a little bit and somebody casually tunes in, it's just another example of of baseball just not reading the room and understanding how to do it. Every other league has a night that kind of stands alone for that thing. The Heisman Trophy isn't as big as it used to be, but what is the only thing in sports the night the Heisman Trophy is handed out? You finished up watching Army-Navy earlier that day, yes. and you got the Heisman that night. That's it. So just do it tonight or maybe, Monday. Maybe, maybe here's the reason. Here were your gold glove winners in the American League. At first base, Evan White from Seattle. At second base, Cesar Hernandez from Cleveland. At third base, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa from the Rangers. Shortstop, J.P. Crawford from the Mariners. Left field, Alex Gordon from the Royals. Center field, Luis Robert from the White Sox. Right field, Joey Gallo from the Rangers. Catcher, Roberto Perez from the Indians. Pitching uh, Pitcher, Griffin Canning from the Angels. Not exactly a bunch of household names. No, That was, but, not, that was American League. But wouldn't your goal be to make them household names? Yeah. L- little, yeah. I agree with that. A little better group of names on the American League side of things. Or the National League side of things, rather. Anthony Rizzo won his fourth gold glove for the Cubs at first base. Second base, Colton Wong from the Cardinals won his second. Third base, Nolan Arenado from the Rockies won his eighth. Javi Baez won his first for the Cubs at short. Uh, Left field, Tyler O'Neill from the Cardinals won his first. Center, Trent Grisham from the Padres won his first. Mookie Betts won his fifth, this time as a Dodger. Tucker Barnhart from Cincinnati won his second. And then Max Fried from Atlanta, the uh, pitcher in the National League, won his first gold glove. You can field your spot. You don't make many errors. You make big plays defensively. You win a gold glove. Just read the room. The Mac has a better marketing strategy than you. <laughs> That's true. Legendary third baseman Brooks Robinson holds the record for third baseman. He won 16 gold gloves. 
It's incredible. Mike Schmidt, 110. So Arenado with his eighth is only the third player in Major League Baseball history at third base to win eight or more gold gloves. 11 players won a gold glove for the very first time. I think it's a cool award. And, man, you want to talk about something that looks cool in your trophy case at home or if you display it at a restaurant or wherever, I just don't know if it's a big deal. Maybe it is. It's not a big deal, but it's a a microcosm of what the problem is with baseball. Major League Baseball does not know how to capture a news cycle in a positive way. Nope. Feels like the only time Major League Baseball captures a news cycle is when it's for labor unrest or a cheating scandal or cancellation of games. And that's maybe a little unfair. You know I'm a baseball guy. I love it. Love it. And want it to be successful and interesting and fantastic and all of those things. But it's um, kind of steps on its own feet a lot. All right, we've got bowl projections from Stadium. Stadium.com has put out their uh, first bowl projections of the year. We will give you those for the college football fix when we come back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thank you for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Hey, Dad is off today. You want to be part of the show? You can do so on the C Spire text line, 601 601- Eight seven nine four three nine five. That's the number for the text toy. You want double the data for the same dang price? Well, prepaid by Ceasefire is the way that uh, the way to go. Prepaid by Ceasefire plans get double the high speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash prepaid. First round of bowl projections for the year. Time for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. You can get behind the wheel of the F-150 at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. 43 years is the best-selling trucks in America. All right. Bowl projections. Should we start at the bottom and go up or just go ahead and do the, like, championship and whatnot, playoff. Let's start with those just to make sure we have enough time. Semifinals, Sugar Bowl, number one versus number four, Alabama against Oregon. By the way, these come from watchstadium.com. They're going to go Pac-12 team, Alabama against Oregon. Clearly, they are projecting Oregon to go undefeated. The other game in the Rose Bowl, Ohio State, the number two, against Clemson, the number three. Very exciting. New teams mixing it up. Yeah, not exactly uh, Not exactly shocking. The Oregon part's interesting, though. I mean, they're supposed to be good, and Crystal Ball, they, they expect them to have a really good team, and there's not a whole lot of challengers in the Pac-12 this year. 
Fewer games, though. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's a factor at all. You're probably not getting anybody from the Big 12. They've kind of eaten their own. Played themselves out of it, yeah. So Lost maybe it's, themselves out of it. Maybe it's a by default thing, because I think Georgia's losing one more time. What about guess. the fight in Texas A&M Aggies? They gonna lose again? So Oregon will play how many games? Seven. Seven. So if Texas A&M plays ten games, they go nine and one. And so here's Texas one A&M's remaining schedule. They they lost to Alabama. They would not play in the SEC championship game if you assume that Alabama is going undefeated. Their remaining games are at South Carolina, at Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, and Auburn. It is not inconceivable to think that Texas A&M wins all of those games. They're currently 4-1 and one coming off their win against Arkansas. You like a 9-1 and one Texas A&M better than an undefeated Oregon that played at best seven games? I would if I were a committee member. I don't think they would do that, though, if that makes okay. sense. Championship game projection from Watch Stadium is Alabama against Ohio State. That's on January the 10th, tentatively. Your other New Year's Six bowl games, Notre Dame against Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl. Fiesta Bowl, Southern Cal against Wisconsin. Peach Bowl, Georgia against Cincinnati. And Cincinnati would get the group of five automatic bid. Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma State against Florida. And so you would have uh, one SEC team in the college football playoff, and you would have three more in group of six games. All right, so here are your other bowls. I I won't go through all of them. Some of these you don't care at all about. Alamo Bowl, Iowa State, Arizona State. Big 12, Pac-12 matchup there. Uh, Birmingham Bowl. UCF against Ole Miss. That would be fun. High-flying offenses, you've got a couple of ties. Uh, Jeff Levy, and then even though this is a very loose one, Kiffin did coach somewhere else in Florida. And then you've got always... That's a real loose one. (laughs) It's a real loose one, but I guess it's there. But you've got that storyline of can UCF compete with the big boys? And Is Trey Nixon still at UCF, the former Ole Miss wide receiver, or is he done? I believe he's still there. I think he caught a touchdown pass against Georgia Tech earlier this year. Okay. Uh, Memphis against FAU in the Boca Raton Bowl. Memphis, uh, one of the worst defenses in the country. Coached by former Ole Miss defense coordinator Mike McIntyre. Yeah. Miami against Oklahoma in the Cheez It Bowl. It's actually kind of a fun matchup. Citrus Bowl. Indiana against Auburn. The Dukes Mayo Bowl. That's now in Charlotte, but it's no longer an SEC tie in. North Carolina against Penn State. Be a good matchup for them. That'd be fun. The Gasparilla Bowl. 
Virginia against Missouri. That's ACC, SEC. What bowl game is that now? Where is that? Isn't that Tampa? Okay. Is that what used to be the Outback Bowl? No. We've still got the, the Outback. Outback Bowl is still there. The Gasparilla Bowl is um anyway. Yeah, it's there. I guess Virginia Tech, South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. Army against Washington in the Independence Bowl. By the way, Army has already accepted an invitation to the Independence Bowl. <laughs> Important game for Virginia Tech this weekend against the Fighting Hugh Freezes. Yeah. We'll get to them in a second. Liberty Bowl. Texas against Arkansas. I would think that in a non-COVID year, that is a matchup that the Liberty Bowl executives would salivate for. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Whew. Texas fans travel. They spend money. Arkansas fans would be beside themselves. And right up the road. And right up the road. But getting that old Southwest Conference matchup. The Montgomery Bowl. Liberty against UAB. Okay. Music City in Nashville, Michigan against Tennessee. The Please Outback. Don't Fire Me Bowl. I mean, you want to talk about them digging into the we're just going to put as many SEC teams in there as we can? The Outback Bowl, Northwestern against Kentucky. Ugh. That might be the ugliest game of the year. Northwestern's been playing okay early. Put some points on the board. We made this comparison yesterday uh, about Northwestern. That's what Vanderbilt could be. It's what they could be. Never really going to compete for a conference title, although they went to a Big Ten championship recently. They weren't competitive in the game. Ohio State was better than them by a lot, but still they went. They go to bowl games almost every year. Very respected program, but they invest in it. And that's why they're able to sustain that. That's what Vanderbilt could be. You're not winning the SEC. It's never happening. But with a little investment, you could be a program that is respectable, that goes to bowl games. That is a challenge every once in a while. Sure. No, I'm with you. Buddy of mine sent me a message. Gasparilla Bowl... Played in the Tampa Bay area, first played in 2008 as the St. Petersburg Bowl at Tropicana Field. Renamed the Gasparilla Bowl in 2017 as a nod to the legend of Jose Gaspar, a mythical pirate who supposedly operated in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, in 2018, they moved it to Raymond James Stadium. Go figure, using an NFL stadium for that game instead of playing it at the Trop. Kansas State, LSU, and the Texas Bowl. All right, so they project Ole Miss to Birmingham. Does that make sense to you? Geographically, yes, but you've said a couple of games that I would consider better bowl games for teams that aren't as good as them. Kentucky going to Tampa would be one. LSU going to Houston would be one. Tennessee? Tennessee and Nashville might be one. 
the Bahamas Bowl, the Fenway Bowl, the Hawaii Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, and the Quick Lane Bowl, hashtag bowl season, have all been canceled for this year. That's your college football fix, your first round of bowl projections from WatchStadium.com and Brett McMurphy. All right, so let's dive into the college football slate for this weekend. Game's going on right now. Kent State's up 7-zip on Eastern Michigan. Western Michigan leads Akron 3-0. Did you see how that game started? I did not. Akron tried an onside kick where the kicker kicks it right in front of him and dives on it. They got it back, but he touched it at uh, about six inches short. So Ooh. that is a very Mac way to start the season, though. This is exactly what we want from our Maction. A, a crazy play... You know, just intestinal fortitude. Why not? It's a crazy year. We're going to start with an onside kick. You recover it, but it's just a few inches short. That's the kind of action we're looking for. Four more MAC games tonight. Borky, you have to pick one of these for the college, uh, I'm sorry, for the uh, Pearl River Resort pick of the day. It is brought to you by. Pearl River Resort, the sports book at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon. Ohio at Central Michigan. Ohio's a three-point favorite. Pick them between Ball State and Miami. Toledo laying a big number at home as a 24-point favorite. Or Buffalo is a 14-point favorite at Northern Illinois. I'll take the Miami Redhawks in a pick them at home in honor of a friend of mine named Ford. Ford is a wonderful guy uh, who last we spoke uh, works for the Border Patrol. And Ford used to have one too many when we were roommates together and order pizza and stuff like that from Oxford, Ohio, where Miami University of Ohio is. Instead it's supposed of Oxford, to be a great town. It's supposed to be a great town, but he would have one too many and not pay attention and Google Pizza Oxford and numbers from Oxford, Ohio would come up and he would call and try to order pizza. So in honor of Ford, the Red Hawks are a winner tonight. Who, by the way, according to ESPN's Football Power Index matchup predictor, have a 63.4% chance to win. Hmm. The Red Hawks. All right. Tomorrow night, you've got uh, a couple of games. See if these do anything for you. Utah State at Nevada or Wyoming at Colorado State? No, I'll be watching the NFL game instead of those two. Uh, The 49ers are on the Saints schedule next week. And get this, for that game tomorrow, not a single 49er that touched the football in the Super Bowl will be playing tomorrow night. Mm. Every player that touched the ball for San Francisco last year is either not on the team or is injured and can't play in the game tomorrow. Crazy. Crazy. Which means Nick Mullins is your starter at quarterback. That's right. Pretty good slate on Friday night. Your early game is Miami at NC State. Miami's 5-1. and one. They're ranked 11th. NC State is 4-2. and two. And then how about this at 845 on FS1? 7-0 BYU led by Zach Wilson is 2,152 yards and 19 touchdown passes. 
on the blue turf at Boise. Only their third game of the year for Boise. BYU's been rolling along. Air Force and Army kick off at 10.30 Central Time. That's 11.30 on the East Coast in West Point at uh, Mikey Stadium. Air Force and Army. Army at 6-1 on the year. Why is Michigan favored at Indiana? They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Michigan and Na- or favored in name only? I mean, maybe okay. it's just a public line thing. What former Ole Miss linebacker coach Tom Allen has done at Indiana is really impressive. He's done a great job. Off to a 2-0 start. 11 o'clock Central, 9 a.m. local time on the West Coast. Number 20 Southern Cal will open their season as a 10.5-point favorite against Herm Edwards and Arizona State. What do you think about that move? I mean, we joked about it a while ago because that idea was kicked around and we thought there's no way they're doing that to those kids, right? Well, they're doing it. 9 a.m. kickoff. What do you think? I mean, I think it'll be fine. I don't know that it's necessary. It it does give more evidence to what we've talked about that the television networks are putting a greater emphasis on the 11 a.m. time slot. And I think the Pac-12 is probably using this as a little bit of an experiment because it's this year that's weird anyway. I think they want to see what the eyeballs are like and see if they, I mean, I don't blame the Pac-12 for giving it a shot because they're going to play at most seven games. And if there's a chance to get more eyeballs on your games, when we talk about matching as branding, Pac-12 after dark, that's branding also. But the bottom line is there are a lot of people in the East Co- on the East Coast in the Central Time Zone that either can't or won't stay up for a game that ends after midnight, sometimes after 1 a.m. Yeah. So in a crazy year where you're hoping that your marquee teams, Southern Cal, Oregon, who else? Maybe Washington, maybe. That would be Probably not the this three, year. yeah. But generally speaking. Uh, maybe they can grab some eyeballs and grab some attention enough to legitimately get them into the conversation for the playoff. Yeah, because locally... It- That's a really good point. If you look at college football ratings or just football in general, no matter what the game is, the top markets are generally Birmingham, New Orleans, Greenville, South Carolina, Nashville. The South will watch football. But if it's after 10 o'clock, the South is in bed. So maybe this is just something that, like you said, I mean, they're not going to get any more West Coast interest than they already have, which isn't that much. Yeah. The, the college football audience is where we sit, not where they sit. So if and in on, the Midwest also, right? So if they decide, you know what, this Saturday they're competing against Michigan, Indiana, which doesn't really grab people, not that much. I mean, what's the SEC game at eleven? Nothing that brings anybody any kind of excitement either. So I'm probably watching Arizona State, USC. And I'm a guy that will be sitting outside of Jackson, Mississippi. And that's the game I'll watch at 11. If it was at 10.30, I'm in bed. And I well, wouldn't turn you, it on. But you, You've got good options, though. Here you go, right? Michigan, Indiana is at 11. Arizona State, Southern Cal is at 11. West Virginia, Texas is at 11. 
Liberty at Virginia Tech. Undefeated Liberty at 4-2 Virginia Tech. Liberty's at number 25 in the polls. Virginia Tech is a 14.5-point favorite in that game. You'll get a lot of action on Liberty. On the gambling side of things, you'll get a lot of it. You got North Carolina Duke at 11 on ESPN2. Carolina's 4-2. They've lost two in a row. Duke is 2-5. Nebraska Northwestern's at 11. Michigan State Iowa is at 11. Now that is what an 11 a.m. ESPN game is supposed to look like. <laughs> that takes me back to my dorm room on the 11th floor of Stockard in 1999, knowing that on Saturday morning when you flipped on the TV after game day, Michigan State and Iowa were playing against each other. Teams punting on their opponent's 31-yard line. It's probably gray, might be snowing, certainly overcast. You get into the uh, kind of the afternoon slot. Florida Georgia is at two thirty. Georgia, by the way, three and a half point favorite. Cincinnati tries to tries to stay undefeated when they host Houston. There are people that, that think that, that they can play their way into a playoff spot, and I don't. I just don't know if that's possible. Uh, UCF, they need UCF to win every game but them to have a ranked win. But if you look at Cincinnati, so they're 5-0. and They've got five more games plus a conference championship. And 11-0 and Cincinnati, that is dominant. I guess I know the answer already, but an 11-0 dominant Cincinnati or a 7-0 and Oregon, you probably give the nod to Oregon, but you've really got to think about it, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. By the way, Vanderbilt-Mississippi State has been moved up half an hour. That was originally scheduled for a 3 o'clock kick on the SEC Network. It's now 2.30. Hopefully they don't send the iPhone 3 cameras to Starkville. 6 o'clock on ESPN, number 7, Texas A&M at South Carolina. Fighting Texas Aggies, a 10-point favorite in Columbia. Such a light, light slate of games. How about this on Saturday night? On NBC, number one Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. Give his name a shot. Taking on number four Notre Dame. You got 30 seconds. What's Clemson's quarterback's last name? I got to be looking at it. I can't just do it (laughs) off the top of my head. His dad made a, put a video on Twitter of him explaining how to say it to Clemson fans, and after I watched it, I didn't learn anything. Yeah. It's like Oogie Apoloa or something. Something like that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Uyangalale. Nailed it. I just hadn't studied it at all. Ui Angalale. Not even looking at it anymore. I'm good now. Apparently Joe Test didn't study it either. I'm picking on him. It's a hard name, but he and... Uh, who's on the call with him? McElroy? They yeah. they tried multiple different ways to say that kid's name. Apparently on the, the Clemson radio broadcast, apparently somebody was listening to it just for, you know, the funny them trying to pronounce his name. 
uh, it was a reporter that covers Clemson for the Athletic, said they said at least 12 different pronunciations and then <laughs> decided just to go with DJ for the rest of the game. Uyunglele. It's not that hard if you do it phonetically. Well, especially if you work for the team. I feel like that's something you should narrow down when you're calling Clemson football on the Clemson radio network. Uyunglele. Porky, um, first college basketball game I ever did on television for ESPN or SEC Network was <laughs> the audience was massive, I know. I know it was just huge. It was the University of South Florida at South Carolina directly opposite the SEC championship game in football. <laughs> I mean, tens of people watched that game. I bet their moms and dads loved that broadcast, though. Well, and you may remember that South Carolina had a couple of names that were, whoo. You had uh, Hakevichus and Mendogas and uh, Kaichinus was the other one. I mean, you thought, like, hold on now. It's my first game. Can I get some Smiths and some Jones and some uh, you know, Matthews, Brown, Franks? Oh, man. Nope. Nope. Didn't get that. What's the worst mistake you've ever made calling a game? You know, there's one that kind of stands out to me. I started an explanation and didn't finish it. And it made it sound like I had done no homework when Mississippi state and Nebraska played each other in the NIT in Starkville. That was the season where they had like, what was it? Some hurricane relief games or something where they allowed exhibition games to be played before the start of the season without fans or, you know, as a fundraiser or something along those lines and Mississippi state and Nebraska played each other. And I was in the process of trying to make reference to that game. And it was something along the lines of, you know, Mississippi State, Nebraska, you know, meeting in basketball for the uh, the first time. And then something happened and I didn't finish the sentence. Which, of course, was for the first time in a game that counts. They also met back in October in an exhibition game. And I tell you what really made me mad about it. There was another announcer who does, I don't like calling him out, it's Kevin Kugler. He does games for Westwood One. He's now doing football for Fox, and you know, he's fine. Does the Westwood One College World Series. And, like, didn't tag me on Twitter, but made some comment about, all right, so they picked the lazy play-by-play announcers that don't even know that these two teams played each other back in October in an exhibition game. And I really thought about reaching out to him and be like, man, you do this for a living. How dare you attack my work ethic and my preparation because I made a mistake and didn't finish a thought? I've listened to enough of your games that I promise you I've caught some mistakes that you've made and I don't go running to Twitter to talk about how you suck at your job. Yeah, that's pretty low brow stuff, right? I, there. I mean, it was it was it was really bush league. And he's yeah, he lives in. I think he lives in Lincoln, or he's a Nebraska fan. Does a bunch of Big Ten stuff. And I mean, 
whatever. I didn't lose any sleep over it, but obviously four or five years later, it still sticks with me that that happened. If I ever bump into that guy, I'm going to say, hey, Kevin, Richard Cross, you do a pretty good job, but man, that was ridiculous. Not that I'm holding a grudge. I wouldn't. Think I mean, that's not like, like that a either, huge though. screw up on the. I mean, I just I call somebody by the wrong name, or I mean, I've never had something where like I let a four letter word slip, or yeah, you know. Certainly, the biggest screw up that I've been involved with on television was not me. It was last year in Columbia, Missouri, when my television announcing partner lost his mind and started talking about Southeastern Conference gymnastics and oh yeah I remember the that. uncomfortable uh, oh I did everything I could to bail my man out of that Whew. there was a very small amount of your voice that went viral yeah the part where I like identified <laughs> each of us individually I was yeah. like glad to have you along in Columbia Missouri I'm Richard Cross that <laughs> was Barry Booker Barry's a good guy he made a big mistake. Uh, not as crazy as Musburger's night with uh, AJ McCarron's girlfriend at the time. Yeah, but that didn't. What a woman! That is why you play quarterback. <laughs> Easy, Brent. Didn't hurt. Didn't cost him anything. Didn't hurt him. Oh, it didn't. Probably hmm. would now, but that's why he's calling Raiders games. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, you want to be part of the uh, conversation, ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Somebody says, Richard has come a long way. When he first started doing baseball with Kellum, he was the ultra-uber homer. It was actually a little comical listening to the radio broadcast while watching on TV a play that wouldn't even be close at first base, and Richard would rail against the umps. Okay. Jason says, don't sell yourself short on South Carolina USF. I rarely watch the entire SEC football championship game. Yeah, I suspect we'll get something similar this year, too. Yeah, I kind of think so. It's, one, because Alabama is Alabama, but it's not at all surprising that they are the most prepared and well-organized team during the year of chaos. It's just, it's brand Nick Saban. Hey, we were kind of rolling through the schedule. We we got into the, I mean, the night schedule this week is yuck. And Clemson, Notre Dame, okay, that's fun. That better be good, because that's it. Stanford at Oregon. It's on ABC at 6.30. Tennessee at Arkansas. I'll probably watch a pretty significant amount of that, actually. Um... Washington's at Cal. That kicks at 9.30. Only two games canceled so far this week. Purdue at Wisconsin. So consecutive games for Wisconsin canceled because of their co- excuse me, their COVID outbreak. And then FIU at UTEP has been canceled. It's funny. This is the week where we get the biggest slate of games because now everybody's playing. And yet there aren't but just a small handful where you're like, hmm, 
I really want to watch that. I feel like I should be more excited about Georgia-Florida than I am. Same here. I, I don't know why I can't get up for it. Because it should be a Georgia's good game. Georgia's boring. Right? Georgia's really boring. But it, it's strength on strength, weakness on weakness. Great Florida offense, great Georgia defense, bad Florida defense, bad Georgia offense. So I'm not excited about it either. I'll watch because, of course, I will. I've got plans to do some things around the house in the morning just to make sure I'm done by the time that game starts. And it's just not something that I'm just jazzed up about. Jason says Cross is still a homer on Ole Miss broadcast. There's a definite used car salesman in there if all else fails. And be nice to the used car salesman. Uh, Richard says, uh, hey, Richard, Bo here. What about the time you tripped and rolled on the sideline? I think it was the Egg Bowl. It was not the Egg Bowl. <laughs> it was in Gainesville. And Borky, I think, was referring to when I like have I really screwed something up when I was doing play-by-play on a television game. Yeah, like calling a kid by the wrong name or or something, just little things like that. John in Oxford says Georgia is boring and Dan Mullen is a gigantic tool. That's why we can't get excited. That's fair. It would be more fun if Dan would coach in that Darth Vader costume. Is there a is there a football coach in America that's worse at reading the room than Dan Mullen? I like the day he showed up at Media Days uh, when he tried to get everybody to talk about his shoes when there was a significantly worse pressing issue that everyone wanted to get to. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe Mark D'Antoni last year at Michigan State, but he's out. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.